Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. Yes, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good. Just want to say congratulations to, to those that got baptized. Can we put our hands together and just celebrate them today? Amen. And friends, family, those of you that are here joining us for the baptisms, just want to say welcome, welcome to you. Glad you guys are here today. Today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, Pastor Angel has, uh, has joined me on the stage. Uh, last week, we started a new series called Bridges, and we're talking about relationships and how that in, in our relationships, we can either burn bridges or build bridges. And, uh, and so we're going to be talking about relationships the next few weeks, and what are those things that burn? What are those things that build bridges? Last week, for those of you that were here, we talked about our relationship with God, how that First John says not to pursue the things of the world, which are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, but instead, we need to walk in humility and obedience, how those are the antidotes to those things, and those are the things that try and burn that bridge, and, and when we walk in humility and obedience, that's what builds that bridge, and again, always, we, we could say sin and Jesus, but what does that look like in our lives? And I told you last week, today we're going to be talking about marriage, and I know that, that there are many of you in this room that aren't married, and so it would be very easy for you to say, well, this doesn't apply to me, I'm not going to listen to this. But as we read the New Testament, we see the, the church is often referred to as the bride of Christ. And so even if you might not be in a, a covenant marriage relationship, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are in a covenant relationship with your heavenly father. And so, so these principles, I would encourage you, number one, take them and apply them to that covenant relationship. But then also, if you are single with aspirations of one day being married, if you can get these principles and not wait 10 years like we did, uh, just help set your, your marriage off on the right track. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, before we do, those of you that are Dream City regulars know we have to have a dad joke to get us started and to prepare us for that. And so uh, today, being that we're talking about marriage, did you hear about the two cell phones that got married? The ceremony wasn't that great, but the reception was incredible. <clears throat> You're welcome. You guys, I feel like when you indulge him, you just enable this behavior. They love it. <laughs> We they, love it. They love you. We love it. So, oh, we. We love it. We, we love it. Yes. So anyway, so you know, today, today is we're we're talking about marriage. Even this morning, we we're you know in the office talking. It's like, who are we, right? Like, who are we? There are there are people that have been married longer. That are there are people with more wisdom, more experience. But I do think in our in our 17 years this week, as we celebrate Valentine's Day, and then on Friday, we're actually celebrating our 17th anniversary. <laughs> She's renewed my contract for one more year, so we're looking good. We're looking good moving forward. Better make those monthly payments, though. That's right. So this week we were talking to somebody, and she actually said 18 years, and it's like no. And I had to correct my wife and say it's only been 17 years this year, and so. Uh, so it's our 17-year anniversary, and, and for those of you that maybe don't know us, maybe you haven't been here as long, want to just kind of share our story a little bit. Uh, I got some pictures to, to give you an idea of what, what the... Look at those babies. I know, that was 20, probably 23, 24 years ago, somewhere around there. I was somewhere around 15, Angel was 18, I was a freshman, she was a senior... Okay. Just but saying. 
Draw Listen. whatever you want from that. <laughs> Here's the worst part. This picture is taken in a van on the way to church camp. So I don't know who those leaders were. Because <laughs> if I were these leaders, I would be like three feet back up. But then on the other hand, if, if, if you're here and you're in high school and you're looking, like church camp is a good place to find someone. <laughs> so if you don't have plans on going to church camp, make sure you have plans on going to church camp. And then the next picture is our four kids. Go ahead and put that picture up there. Jason, the blue, what's crazy about this picture is Jace, which is in the blue, he's our oldest, is the same age here as I was in that picture. Nothing to make you feel old, like your kids getting to that age. So Jace and then Isaiah over on the left, Carter and Jewel, they are 16, 15, 12, and 10. So if you see these kids running into the coffee shop, grabbing donuts and not paying for them, they're not little thieves, they kind of are, but they're not little thieves, like those are my kids, and so anyway. So we've been married for 17 years. We've known each other for 24 years. Um, we met in church. We met at church kind of as a bribe. Her mom was trying to get Angel to go to church. And why don't you, why don't you, tell, them, why don't you tell them what your mom said? Go ahead, tell yeah, them. Yeah, so if you've heard my story, I didn't grow up in church. When my mom first found Jesus, we were going to like a very small traditional teaching church. And then she, I think through an extension of worship nights in the city, they used to do these, these Omaha worship nights, fell in love with the Holy Spirit because she could feel his presence in these worship nights. And so we ended up starting going to Glad Tidings at the time John's dad was pastoring there. And I mean, it just ignited something in her spirit. Well, the first time she took us kids, I was like, mom, this is a spirit-filled church. We had never been around that. You have joined a cult. And so I'm like, legit, we need to get out of here. We're gonna end up on a Dateline 2020 episode. It was bad. And so I was like, I am not, like people were speaking in tongues, falling out in the spirit. I'm like, we are not doing this. You're just lucky it wasn't communion week with the juice cups being passed around. It could have got wild. Uh, So, I was just like, we're not going to go. And I was old enough to drive at the time. She's like, fine, just, uh, I just want you to keep going if you want to keep going to the youth group that you were at. Well, then I'm a senior in high school at this time. I get into some trouble, and she's going to ground me. And she's going to ground me for a month. So she comes to me, and she says, either you're grounded for a month, or you can try out this other youth group for a month. And then she told me, and there's this cute pastor's son there who I really think... I have a type, a very specific type, dark hair, dark skin, thick build, everything you see before you, right. (laughs) So she knew, the Holy Spirit knew, so that's how I showed up. He's from Albuquerque where everybody looks like him, dark hair, dark skin, so here I am, this unicorn with blonde hair, blue eyes. I'd never seen that before. (laughs) Right. So we meet. The timing is never right, though. Like, now our age doesn't seem like a big deal. If you tried to bring home a 20-year-old girl right now, I would cut you. (laughs) And his parents were like, absolutely not. I remember them telling me, John is not mature enough. And I'm like, but I love him. So stupid. But. You or me, or both? Both. Mostly me. But I do remember telling my mom, um, I'm going to marry him someday. He just was always different for me, and I just knew. But again, I was so, I don't even think I was really saved at the time. I wanted to be saved. I think I just didn't want to go to hell, but I was not following Jesus. His story is radically different, but he was not following Jesus for other reasons. So on and off, six years, finally we get to a point 
Um, I am almost done with college at this point. We had both moved away, done college, come back. John was always my, my plumb line, if you will. I would get into other serious, rebellious relationships, and they would start progressing to a point, and it was like, okay, is there anywhere else that I'd rather be? And it was always John. Is there anyone else I'd rather be with? And it was always John. And so we got to a point where we needed to make a decision. I was ready to move on with my life. I was done with the games. Um, again, we're still not in a right place with, place with Jesus. And I had went to him, and I'm like, the first time I tell him I love him. You don't have to tell this story. I'm telling this story. You don't have to, listen, <laughs> stick to the script. Stick to the script. <laughs> this is second service. It's like no script, no filter, right. The first time I tell him I love him, he's like, mm, I'm just not there yet. Right. I was like, oh my gosh. God has done a God's done a lot in me in done the last work 20 in your years. <laughs> so then I was like, well then I'm done. Like I'm not doing this with you anymore. Like we're either gonna do it for real and quit all the games, or I have to move on with my life. And I think maybe it was just the fear of losing me. Um, was like, well, I, I don't want to lose you. So okay, let's try it. And the then it was a month later we About found out later. that we were pregnant. And it was like, so we're going to do this for real then. Right. Like, we're really yeah. doing this. But. Yeah, I'll commit to you. Here's the thing, though. Like, God is so good. Even in our sin, he is so merciful and he is so kind. Because I think just for me personally, I needed that conversation that month before. Like, I need to know if you're in this or not. Um, at the time, his dad was pastoring one of the largest churches in town. And so we had to go. And, you know, let this whole church of two, 3,000 people know that, hey, we're pregnant. Um, and there were, church people can be nasty. Yeah, yeah you know, because you're those nasty people. We're those nasty people. <laughs> we're all those, like, in our flesh, we are wretched sinners. And God was so, again, so good. He just protected us during that time. And there were so many rumors and so many horrible things that we hear now years later that we just didn't hear then. And I needed that for my spirit, and the Lord knew, and so he just protected us from that. Like he said, what qualifies us to be here today is really not the 17 years, but it's all the reasons that we got it wrong. And so really, that's, that's what we're going to share today. Yeah, so, uh, so that's kind of a, in a, in a six-minute nutshell, our story, if you will. Um, so as we talk about marriage, we have to understand the importance of marriage. Again, it, it's not just because it's God-ordained. We see that God ordained it in the garden. He created Adam. Uh, in chapter 2, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. So he put Adam to sleep, took from him flesh and bone, created a helpmate for him, suitable for him, brought her. And, uh, and we, we see that picture in the garden. And, and it's not, that's not the only reason that marriage uh, is important. But again, because it's the covenant relationship this way that reflects to the world the covenant relationship yeah. this way. And so your, your marriage is your first and oftentimes your greatest testimony yeah. to the world around you of what covenant looks like. And so, uh, so, so we have to understand the importance of marriage. And as we, we've been talking the last couple of weeks, preparation, and, and just kind of like, what do we want to share? How do we want to do this? You know, what do they need to know? What did we need to know? What have we learned along the way? Really, every conversation, two words kind of continue to rise to the top. And those two words are invest and protect. And, and really, when it comes to burning and building, it's, it's all hinging on these two words. And if you don't do these things, you will be guaranteed to burn bridges. Yeah. But if you do do these, 
I'm such a child. I just, I just said doo-doo. If you do do these things, you will be guaranteed to, to, build, to build bridges in your relationship. And, and it's even similar to what, what God told Adam in the garden. As he put Adam in the garden, the mandate and the directive that he gave to Adam was to work and to keep. And in that, that word work means really to, to cultivate, to, to get your hands dirty, to work at, which is investing. And then to keep is to protect, to guard, to watch over, protecting. So that mandate we see in the garden is the same as is what makes relationships work between husband and wife. It's that idea of investing and protecting. And so today as we, we talk about investing and protecting, we're going to give you kind of what it's looked like for us. Um, and then at the end, give you some practicals that you can, you can walk away with. So we know that our story is not your story, uh, but the principles are, are transferable as well. So as we talk about burning bridges, failing to invest, what does that look like for, for you? Oh man, first of all, you need to know, I was like a professional arsonist when it came to burning bridges and marriages, um, just like massive explosions and incineration. But I think when it comes to investment, the, the biggest area that I struggled and failed to invest in our marriage manifested itself through control. Um, and really that came in two forms. The first one was withholding trust. Um, I, when John and I got married, I had no intention of coming under him. Now I didn't know that at the time, um, I hated the word submission, but you need to understand my context for relationships was wildly abusive. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so this idea of, of submission really felt unsafe to me, really felt threatening to me, really felt like the last thing on earth I wanted to do. But I would have never told you, I have no intention of coming under you. I would have just told him, and I did tell him often, I don't need you. In fact, when we got pregnant, that's the first thing I said to him, I can do this by myself. I don't need you. And I didn't realize that that was coming from a place of pain. So my my failure to invest looked more, more dignified, or it looked innocent enough. Um, I was further along in adulting than John. Again, our age doesn't make a difference now, but then I had been living on my own, paying my own bills. Uh, I had financed my own car. So there was just some, some experience, life experiences that I had already had that he didn't have. And this lent itself very well to me withholding trust, to me just, I don't need you. I can do all this myself. The only way that I think I really wanted to become one with him was in flesh. Everything else, it was like, I'm good. I always had this contingency, contingency plan that was centered around my independence. I'm fiercely independent. And I was over-functioning in so many areas. And then I would resent him for it, right? So I, at the time, like, I'm going to school full-time. I am working full-time. I'm popping out babies left and right. I'm paying all the bills. I'm doing all of our, just all the adulting things. I'm taking care of the house inside and outside. I'm over-functioning, but I'm underperforming. And you need to understand, you can over-function and still underperform when you're doing things that God has not called you to do. And that was the story of my life. And so I'm over-functioning, but then I'm resenting him for it at every change. So that was one huge way that I failed to invest in our marriage. I would not come under him. I would not trust him with anything, even if I felt like he had deserved it, I wouldn't do it because 
of where I was coming from, my place of pain. And then, you know, there were a few times early on where, like, if I absolutely needed him, um, because of the damage that I had done of just emasculating him and dishonoring him and disrespecting him time and time again, he was, it was not usually met with the most excitement of, oh, yes, I can't wait to do this for you. And so my go-to to get him to do something that I wanted was nagging. And ladies, you need to know that nagging is a huge withdrawal in your marriage. Of all of our behaviors, of all of our cute little nuances that we have as women, crying and over-emotion and nagging, made scripture. Nagging, the Lord's like, listen, don't do this one. And I think he did that for a reason. I think he mentioned that for a reason. I think he makes it as annoying as a dripping faucet for a reason. Because God never intended for us to nag our husbands into compliance. God in, in designed for this to be an opportunity to surrender them and then come back to him. But I would nag this man into compliance. You see how this doesn't work all throughout scripture. Samson and Delilah, she nagged him into getting what she wanted. Ultimately, that cost him his strength, his calling. God, the very thing that God created him for. So can you nag him into getting what you want or doing what you want? Sure but at what cost? It's not really gonna produce, and listen, nagging does not always sound like, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. It can sound so many different ways. And I am a master with words, so I think there were different ways that I did that, but I think those were the two biggest ways that I failed to invest early on. I would agree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, those of you that are married, you, you know that marriage is, is such a, there's, there's so much cause and effect. And what one person does affects the other person, and then what they do affects the other person. And there's there's equal and opposite actions and reactions. And uh, you know, for her, the the control looked like uh, it was very emasculating to me. I didn't know how much money was in the bank. I didn't know when bills were due. I didn't know like there was there was none of that with me. And so, so competition is my number two strength, and so I have to feel like I'm winning, otherwise I'm going to go crazy. So what that led me to is if I'm not winning at home, and if I'm not winning in my marriage, then I'm going to give myself to things where I know that I can win. And so, so rather than investing relationally, I was investing in my, my passion for hunting. I was investing in my golf game. I was investing in the other things in my life that I knew I was really good at to the point where the day that Carter was born, our third son, uh, allegedly this happened, but we, we got in the car from the hospital, got the car seat in the car, drove home carried my, my son into the house, got my wife settled, went downstairs, put on my camo, and went hunting. So you, you want to talk about... You need to be about... more appalled. You need to be like, oh. No. Thank you. Ooh. You want them to boo my dad jokes and to throw tomatoes at me. And so what, what, what that looked like is rather than investing this way, like I was so invested and the other things in my life that I dropped off my wife who had just given birth two days prior and said, all right, if you need something, call my mom. Like that's how little I was investing. But again, it's, it's cause and effect. And for you, maybe it's not hunting, maybe it's not golfing, but maybe you're so invested in your career that you don't have time to invest relationally. 
Maybe you're so invested in yourself. Maybe you're so invested in your friends. Maybe you're, you're so invested in playing video games that, that you don't have time to invest relationally in your marriage. Again, it doesn't look the same, but the principles still apply. So, so number one uh, was pursuing selfish desires. For me, like I was going to those things. The other thing is, as much as she talks about ladies don't nag, like fellas, don't make your woman have to nag. Right, right. Like there's... <laughs> Someone really needed that. <laughs> like, there's no reason your honeydew list should look the same six months later. Like, babe, can you take care of this? Babe, can you take care of that? Like, one way that I know I'm not investing relationally is when I let things go around the house. Yeah. When I'm not attentive to her needs, when I'm not responding to her requests, when, when I'm not doing those things at home, I know that I'm not investing this way. What about protecting? Are you going to add something there? Nope, I, I wouldn't. Okay. Yeah, so protecting. Um, okay, so if for me, not investing looked like control, for me, not protecting looked like comparison. And what I mean by that is I hid my sin behind comparison to his sin, right? So my sin was a lot of internal stuff and his was a lot of external. And I don't know if you see this in your relationships, but his was just more scandalous, right? It's the, it's the story of the prodigal. Like, you know, he spends all his money on hookers and hoes and I, the, the, the proper son is home. You guys haven't been through Unveiled because I say that all the time in Unveiled. But again, at, at, the, the proper son stayed home. The older son, he was always home. He never left. But what did he do? He got, he got stuck in this trap of self-righteous indignation. Listen, anytime you make your spouse your source, you set yourself up for comparison. And so for me, like, well, at least I'm not fill in the blank. And so I hid my sin behind comparison to his sin. And again, his seemed so much louder and his seemed so much, much just more, um, like, like it carried more weight and it really didn't, but it allowed me to justify, you know, whether it's a bad attitude or disrespect or unhealthy behaviors. If you're stuck in that, stop. Jesus talks in Matthew chapter seven, and you've all heard this, but he, he's talking about judgment and he says, listen, get the plank out of your eye before you try and worry about the speck in your brother's eye. I really don't think he was using those, those terms in, in a matter of measuring our sin, like, well, your sin is a plank and yours is a speck. I really just think he wanted to emphasize how much your stuff changes the way that you see other people. I was not seeing John through the lens of his pain. I was seeing John through the lens of my pain, and that dramatically and devastatingly affected our relationship and allowed a foothold to the enemy to come in and just control the narrative. What yeah. about you? How did you not protect? Oh, let me count the ways. Um, I mean, for, for me, a lot of my stuff, again, it's so scandalous, and so what else? What other words did you use to describe it? Um, <laughs> But it was in, in where Angel, going back to last week's message, in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. For Angel, a lot of it was the pride of life. It was that internal stuff. For me, it was all the, the external stuff. It was all the, the lust of the flesh. It was the, the lust of the eyes and the things that I brought into my marriage that, that gave the enemy the, 
the foothold, the opportunity, and the, the door through which to come and hinder intimacy in our marriage, to hinder God's plan and his purpose from being fulfilled in us and through us and at that time in our marriage. Uh, I remember as a, as a young man struggling with an addiction to pornography, and it's something that I, I struggled with all the way up until taking it into our marriage. And I remember thinking to myself, like, once I get married, I won't need this anymore. And once I get married and, and you know, I have that physical intimacy, then I'm, this isn't, this isn't going to be something that, that I'll turn to anymore. And listen, like if you're here and you're, you're thinking that, can I just tell you that that's not true? Yeah. Like just because you have a wife and you have somebody that you can be physically intimate with doesn't mean that that temptation is going to be removed from your life. And so, so it's something that I always said, you know, when this happens, then I'll stop. And when I get there, then I'll stop. Well, it, it just never did. And no matter how many times she found it or she saw it or, you know, she asked me, like, it was always something that was there. And so for me, it was about not guarding my heart. It was about not guarding my mind. Like, how did I fail to protect our marriage? By letting myself go. By, by ignoring the, the relationship with, with God that I was supposed to walk in as the head of my house, as the, the priest of my home, as a spiritual leader of my home, failing to do those things and allowing unrepentant sin into my heart and into my life gave the enemy a foothold into our, into our marriage and in our relationship. Um, yeah. Well, and I would just add to that, you know, and I told the first service, I would talk about pornography all day, every day, in every setting, because it is such a snare in our society today. But I think one of the things that he's not seeing that he would tell you if you had this conversation with him is that it wasn't about the pornography. I mean, that was a, that was a source of comfort. And, and what he knows now is that was meeting a need, right? That was, that was how he was self-medicating. And so for him, it looked like that. But then for me, like, I never went to the Lord with my pain. And so what I would do when I would find that is, again, I would try to fix that in my own strength. And listen, I had all of these strongholds of human reasoning that said, if you do this, then this is going to happen. One of those that the only men who struggle with pornography are the ones whose wives don't put out or they let themselves go. Listen, I was in the same jeans a week after I gave birth, and we had sex every single day. So if you're believing those lies, you are relying on human strength to fight spiritual battles. This was an outlet. This was a source of comfort rooted in pain, rooted in bondage. I love that EXO um, tape that they played uh, of understanding that anything you bring into the light will no longer have a hold on you. If one of us would have brought those things into the yeah. light, it would have sped up this process so much sooner. Yeah. And it's that cycle of pain and, yeah. and that just continues to cause us to, to remove brick by brick uh, that bridge of intimacy in, in a married relationship. And so again, like it maybe is not the same as, as it looks for us, but what are those things that in your pain or with the, the, the unforgiveness that you carry around with you or the, the, the offense that you've picked yeah. up, like what are those things that are causing you to look to other things other than God and your spouse? Whatever those are need to be brought into the light and addressed. Yeah. So we've talked about burning. What about building? How do we invest? How do we protect? After 17 years, what are the things that we've figured out? Okay, so for me, investing, um, again, if control was the way that I failed to invest, one of the things I've learned is I choose John Weasel every single day. I remember when we got married, um, 
I, I had this, this thought in my mind, I wonder when I'm going to stop loving him. And I say that, let me give you again some context. Every single relationship that I had been in prior to John, and there were way too many to even try and validate those, because um, I was always in an unhealthy place, but every relationship that I was in prior to John, I was unfaithful in. And so I felt like I entered into marriage waiting for the shoe to drop, waiting until when am I gonna stop loving you? And by the grace of God, I have never stopped loving him, but here's why. You know, it's not because um, we just are so in love and he's my soulmate. It's because I choose John Weasel every single day. I am naturally bent towards relationships. And so every decision that I make, I try to make with the idea in mind, is this good for our relationship? Whether that's, you know, even things I'm doing personally, is this good for our marriage? Is this good? And that's not, that doesn't mean, please hear me, that doesn't mean that I always do what John wants or that everything that I do makes him happy. Because a lot of the things I do to choose John Weasel are things that he does not appreciate. I choose hard conversations because I choose John Weasel. I choose to forgive. I choose, I was telling this story last time, I think I'm right all the time. I don't know if anyone else in here connects with that. So there's a, there's a, there was a guy who, he, he had been married for a while and he said, you know, when I stood at the altar and I said I do, I knew that I married Mrs. Wright. I just didn't know that her first name was always. So, I always think I'm right, and the, the problem with the way that my brain works is one of my favorite coping skills or defense mechanisms is rationalization. So I can, I can make it rational in my mind, but we had gotten into a fight one night, and, and I've grown, right? Like, pride was a big hindrance in our marriage, so as the Lord is, like, pounding those things out of me, painfully so... Um, I've grown in, in so many of these areas, but we got into a big fight one night. I don't even remember what the fight was about, but I knew that I knew that I knew that I was right, that my point was right, that he was wrong, and, and I'm really good with words, okay? I can, I should have been an attorney in another life. I'm really good with words, and I can put language to all of my thoughts and all of my feelings in a way that will run circles around you. And so I was doing that, and got to a point where like I felt like he was on the verge of surrendering, right? He was gonna concede. And I just saw, probably for the first time, how hurt he was by what I had done. And so, and then the Holy Spirit, who is so loving, but also sometimes so rude, was just like, congratulations, Angel, you won. For what? And so one of those ways, again, for, for me investing, is I choose John Weasel. Sometimes you don't need to be right. Sometimes you just need to be repentant. Sometimes you just need to be humble. Sometimes, so that is one big way. Um, it is for me is just choosing John every day. Um, I choose to come under him. Now, again, this still does not come natural to me because I don't know if it's just my personality. I think I can do everything on my own. But I also, now I like to come under him. I like to, because again, we've, we've cultivated this health here. Um, it, it, it still doesn't come easy, but I choose to do that. I choose to trust him. And then I let the Holy Spirit, as much as I can, be the Holy Spirit, right? You know, you hear the thing like your wife is the Holy Spirit. 
I will do that. John used to always tell me, you know, Angel, it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. And I'm like, or it's how you're hearing it. <laughs> but <laughs> listen, timing, approach, tone, everything, all of that, my delivery is so much different now. And when I need to choose John and have one of those hard conversations, I will ask him straight up babe, do you, do you want my opinion? Or I'll say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Like, I'll warn him, and then I'll say it. <laughs> but then, listen, as much as I possibly can, I leave it. I will plant that seed, and then I just trust the Holy Spirit, and I will water that seed through lots of prayer. I definitely nag Jesus about it. But, you know, Peter tells us in the New Testament, listen, let your conduct win your husband's over. And so I don't just drop it and then have an attitude and sass him and do all the things. Like, I literally drop it. And sometimes he'll, like, look at me like he's waiting. And I'm like, no, like, really, I'm good. This is between you and Jesus now. I did my part. And then I will just water that seed through prayer. So those are probably my big ones. I agree. Um... As far as is for for me, um, and it's not just this relationship, but really every relationship. One thing that has hindered a lot of relationships I've been in, friends, whatever, uh, has always been the shame that I've felt in response to my sin. Uh, and I love Genesis chapter three because they they sin, they take the apple, they eat it, and then they sew coverings for themselves, and they're hiding in the bush and. They're like, we were afraid because we were naked, so we didn't want you to see us. And so in, in my life, it very much feels like that. Like in my shame, I would often run and hide and cover myself because I didn't want other people to see me. So when I married a strength finder, top five relator, and those of you that know Gallup strength finders, that just means she needs deep, intimate yeah. connection and relationship. So for me, like here in my sin, in my shame, and she's like wanting to have all the conversations about it, I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. And so for me to, to invest relationally in my marriage, number one, like one of the biggest things that I've had to do is to be okay with vulnerability. It's not easy, and it's still hard. And those times where, like, I don't get it right, or even the times where I do get it right, and she's like, well, how does that make you feel? Like, well, let's talk about it. I'm like, just stop. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I don't, it feels like I'm ripping a Band-Aid off all over again, but I know that because she needs that, if I withhold that from her, then I'm investing more in myself and my pain than I am in my marriage. And so I've gotten to the point where I'm okay, and I'm still growing, being vulnerable, being open, being transparent. That's one of the biggest ways that I invest relationally. So we didn't, I didn't, I didn't ask you this with the first service and we didn't share them. And like, mm. obviously a lot of what you're talking about is, you know, sacrificial love, which is part of how you are called to love me. And it doesn't come natural, but also, you know, for the guys that may be like, yeah, well, good for you, Pastor John, I'm still not going to do it. What like, tell them why. Like, what's the fruit of that so that you've me, noticed? For me, like, one of the, I think first you have to recognize why you're not doing it. And I think, I think for me, I was, I was afraid of what I was feeling. And I was afraid because, again, competition. So I have to win. And if I feel like a failure, then I feel like I'm, I'm, I've lost. And so 
growing up as a, as a pastor's kid in the culture in that day, there was this sense and this perception that you had to say the right thing and wear the right thing and do the right thing. And, and you know, what, what happens in this house, nobody needs to know what happens in this house or the conversations that we have. This is family. And, and so like that was always in my head and that was always in my mind. So, so when it came to my personal failures, it was like, I'm not going to let anybody see this. And then when I get married, it's like, I'm not going to verbalize this because then my wife is going to look at me like I'm a failure. And so like she, you know, oftentimes we, well, why didn't you just come to me? Like that's so foreign because no, I'm not just going to come and admit I just blew it because I feel like a failure. Now I think that you think that I'm a failure and that just causes me to run and hide even more. And so I think you have to understand like why you're not doing it. And I just, I just wasn't. I can't say that. I didn't want to say that. And if I talk about it, then that's where it's going to go. Um, but then the fruit of it is so much freedom. Yes. Because the, the yes. peace that comes, listen, and, and fellas, like, I know where you're at because you're doing things, you're thinking things, you've got things going on that you are hiding and that you are keeping from your spouse. And when she asks you about it, it's like, no, everything's good. The, the pressure and the weight that you feel tightening in your chest in that moment yeah. Some of you are like, how does he know? Because I did. <laughs> like all of that goes away when you're able to sit down and just say, hey, like I messed up. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, here's where I'm at. Hey, here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what I'm, here's, what, here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I'm concerned about. Here's what I'm celebrating. Here's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Whatever those things are, like be okay sharing those things with your spouse. Because listen, guys, you might not need to know that. But she does. And when you come home at the end of the day, your day might have just been pretty good, but she needs to know more details than that. Pretty good is not an answer to how was your day. There needs to be open, honest, vulnerable, transparent communication relationally. Did that answer the question? Yeah, it's so sexy when you use words like freedom and vulnerability. Let's hurry up and get done with this. How much time we got left? Um, Afternoon delight. So so being okay, being vulnerable, letting her in and communicating those things. Another way that I invest in and didn't do this early on, um, because not only is competition high for me, but deliberative, which means that I see potential, potential obstacles in the road. So if you were to come to me with an idea and say, Pastor John, I'm thinking about doing this. The first six things that pop into my mind are things that might trip you up or get in your way or obstacles that you'll have to overcome. So she would come to me with her positivity and, and have these ideas. And the first thing out of my mouth is, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? What are you going to do if this happens? And to her, I'm crushing her dreams. Yeah. To me, I'm trying to help her. And so it took us, it took us a long time yeah. to figure that out and to put a language to that. But now, like... I was trying to champion her dreams then, but I recognized that I was doing more harm than good just because of the breakdown in communication. But one of the biggest ways that I invest in her is championing her. What are the the dreams that God's given her? The books that God has placed inside of her? Like, I cannot... I can't wait. And listen, like... It wasn't, listen, you need to know, it wasn't always this, because I used to resent her for that. Because my competition, when it was unhealthy, it would look at Angel rather rather than as a helpmate as the competition. And because she's a much better leader than I am, and because she can communicate in a way that I can't, 
it felt like I was competing against her, whereas now I'm at a place where I can celebrate her and champion her. And so... And I would add to that because... Thank you for talking. You should have done that like 30 <laughs> seconds ago. No, I was enjoying the moment that we were having, that vulnerability. <laughs> um, I feel threatened by John all the time. John is naturally good at everything. I'm good at specific things. And so I feel threatened. I've always, in my unhealth, viewed him as, as my competition. And here's one of the things that I have learned, though. You know, Genesis, God talks about, I'm going to make a suitable helpmate for you. And I hated that word. I was just like... I'm just a helper. I'm the help. But here's what you need to understand. When, when God brings a wife to a man, it's not, your job as a helpmate is not to be a doormat or, or a servant or a slave. Your job is the most important job in his life. Because my job as his helpmate is to help him be everything that God's created him to be. I have specific giftings that I know that God has brought together. Mine happen to be with people. And so whether that is in discernment, and, and so I will use my gifts to be his helpmate, to help him. When John was called to lead me, to lead our family, to lead our home, and you've probably heard this with business, but when the leader of a business or an organization gets better, the organization gets better. Listen, when the leader of your home gets better, your home gets better, your marriage gets better. John raises the bar in my life, so it doesn't just benefit him. It's not me just over here in my skirt and my pom-poms. Yay, John! When John gets better, I get better. When John gets better, Jace gets better. When John gets better, Isaiah, Carter, and Jewel gets better. When John gets better, this church gets better. Better. And so understand that that influence is so much further reaching than just you having your cheerleading pom-poms. It's so deep. And it's so, and so being a helpmate is so crucial. And understanding what that really means has changed our marriage for sure. I'll say real quick, just one, one other thing in terms of investing is being intentional about taking notice of all the things that your wife does around the house. And not just like noticing them, because I've always noticed I've always noticed when there's socks folded in my, in my drawer. I've always noticed when my shirts magically make their way from the laundry room downstairs up into my closet. I've always noticed those things, but I've not always verbalized them when I've noticed them. And so don't just take notice, but, but call it out. Yeah. Babe, thank you so much for whatever it is. This meal that you cooked is really good. Thank you for taking care of the kids. Thank you for whatever those things are that you appreciate. Don't assume that she knows that you appreciate them, but verbalize that as well. So that's another big thing. Yeah. And, you know, John is not people person. Like, he's just not. <laughs> and so it does, my needs do not naturally occur to John. And before you, like, think, like, oh, my gosh, he's your husband. That's so rude. It's not. Like, I understand. He just does not think of me. He doesn't think of my needs. That is not his knee-jerk reaction. Naturally. But naturally. Thank but you. here's what this man regularly does. He will regularly ask me, you good, babe? You good? I know it doesn't, that to me means way more than like, I naturally consider John. Like, I, that's just who I am. I naturally consider you. Every time I prepare a message, I'm like, what's this person with this person? I, it's so exhausting. And, and, but that's who I am. But John does not. And so when he's like, babe, you good? That means so much. So you choosing to ask her, it, it should, you don't have to, don't get mad at him because you don't occur to him. We've been married 20 years and I still don't occur to you. No, he's just not bent that way. And that's okay. But that's not a let you off the hook, fellas. You you choose. You choose to ask her. You good, babe? So quickly, let's talk about protecting. Protecting. Yes. 
Four or five years into our marriage, I started praying for John's wife. And I say this. And that's um, her, just so you know. Like, that doesn't. <laughs> like, four or five years and John had another. No, like. Four or five years into our marriage, I started praying for John's wife. Um, I was convinced he was the problem. Our marriage would have been perfect if it weren't for him. And uh, somebody <laughs> gave me the book called The Power of a Praying Wife. I've shared this from this stage. I, yes, we have a monthly women's meeting that is Power of Praying Wife. If, you need to, if your husband is the problem, you should be there. But the first chapter of this book is praying for his wife. And I, this is full disclosure, telling on myself, I was fully convinced I can skip this chapter because his wife is killing it. The Holy Spirit's like, yeah, but maybe you just, there, maybe there's a few good things you could pick up. I started reading that and just something in me broke. And that surrender, that season of my life was like, okay, Jesus. You know, he talks about covenant and understanding the purpose of covenant and sacrifice and how that's worship. I surrendered. John was removed from the altar of my heart during that time. And everything I now did for him became an act of worship. And I just started praying for his wife. So I try to look in before I look out. And that has been huge. And then I trust Jesus. And I know that sounds like so super Christian. It's not because it came from a place of debilitating anxiety. Several years ago, and again, I've shared this story before, but several years ago, I started experiencing some just terrible anxiety, so much so that I was manifesting it physically in my body. Went to the doctor, I'm like, I'm sure I'm dying, so you should probably run some scans. Nope, it's anxiety. That's as a spirit-filled, Bible-believing, trained professional, okay, that I was experiencing this anxiety. And there were three specific areas of my life, but one of those was my marriage. The enemy was running a, just a muck in my mind with narratives about my marriage, about who John was, about his past, my past, and it was crippling me. And, and it got to a point where I had to just flush it out because I was like, I cannot live like this. And I wasn't dying, apparently. And so... The Holy Spirit is like, okay, flush it out. And anytime I'm working with someone with fear, it's like, okay, he works with the boogeyman, right? Like that's how the enemy works. It's the boogeyman. It's this fake monster in the closet. You turn on the light, where does he go? So I did. I just started bringing it all into the light and I was flushing it out. Okay, worst case scenario, John leaves me. Worst case scenario, John cheats on me. Worst case scenario, John dies. All of those worst, this is like so encouraging, right? Listen, at the end of every single one of those, Jesus was enough. And so I live now, not because I'm now married to a perfect man, but no matter what he does, Jesus is enough. And so I just trust Jesus in that. That was really hard, but that anxiety was that alarm going off. Angel, you don't trust me in this area. For me, it's, it's and, and fellas, you need to know that before you can lead your spouse, you have to lead yourself. Yes. And, uh, and for me, it's how do I protect and, and make sure that the enemy doesn't have a space in our marriage is by making sure that I'm good with God and making sure that this is right. Uh, it's also being okay, not just being transparent and vulnerable with her, but having guys around me that I can be accountable to and with. And we know that the, every question is on the table and, and nothing is off limits. And so it's guarding my mind. It's guarding my heart. It's praying for my wife every day. It's praying for my family. It's doing those things that, that I know as the leader the man, the priest of my my home that I should be doing. And and if you're good this way, you'll be good this way. Yeah. Um, so we 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 kind of share some of our story. And again, not that our story matches or reflects yours, but hopefully some of those principles can uh, can be transferred and, and apply and, and hopefully you know the Holy Spirit's done his part in this today. But we also wanted to give you some practicals. Like we didn't want to just get up here and just like vomit our stuff on you today. 
But, but you might be sitting there like, okay, well, what do I do? Like, how do I, maybe, maybe I haven't done the best at investing or protecting my marriage. Like, what can I take today and move forward with? And, and as we were talking about that, like, wh- how would we encourage them? It really came down to, to one word, and that was pursue. Yeah. Like, if you want to invest in your marriage, pursue your spouse. Yeah. And if you want to protect your marriage, pursue Jesus. And at the end of the day, you just ask yourself, what am I pursuing? Am I pursuing things of the world or am I pursuing my spouse? Am I pursuing my selfish desires or am I pursuing Jesus? Because if you pursue your spouse and you pursue Jesus, you will be investing and protecting in your marriage. Think about like before you before you got married, all those long three-hour annoying conversations where it was like, you know, you hang up, no, you hang up, no, you hang up. It was like, we're all so stupid. We did those things. Like, you guys are all cute. laughing because you be did cute. them. It's not cute. <laughs> but we all did those things. But then what happens? We get married and then we come home. It's like, how was your day? Good. Wow. What's for dinner? Tacos. Yeah. And that's the extent of our conversation and communication. Why? Because the pursuit is now over. I got you to say yes, and I said I did, and you said you did, so now I don't have to pursue you anymore. Listen, if you want a, a terrible, lifeless, just blah marriage, then fine, don't pursue your spouse. But if you want a thriving marriage, then pursue them every day. Yeah. And so what does that look like? And just, just a couple things that I would encourage you to write down. Communicate daily. Communicate daily, and this is not for just 15 minutes. This is something that is hard for, for me. And I recognize like schedule and seasons of life. And we have little kids. Make time. Make time. There's some, some of us invest more in our kids than we do in our marriages. But make time. And it doesn't have to be two hours, like 30 minutes. Just sit down, put your phone away. Un, put your phone away. Unfiltered and just, just attentive conversation. How was your day? And tell about those things. So communicate daily, uh, intentional time weekly. And I would say this is like an hour to an hour and a half. This isn't just like, how was your day? But these are deeper conversations. And, and it looks different for us depending on the week and depending on what we have going on. Sometimes it's Thursday morning over a cup of coffee and we'll sit there in the living room after the kids go to school for like an hour and a half and just talk. And listen, this, is, this sounds crazy to me because five years ago, like this wasn't happening. Sometimes it's Friday and we'll go to the gym and we're just walking around the track at the gym for an hour just, just talking about what we have going on and what's coming up and things that we've gone through and things that we, so so just have that intentional one-on-one time weekly. I would say have fun monthly. So do something together that you enjoy, that you have fun, laugh together. Be friends. Yeah. Take it, take interest in what they're interested in. Angel doesn't care about hunting. But she will come and sit in a tree stand with me. Why? Because that's investing relationally. Like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care about shopping. (laughs) I don't. You're like, well, you get these new, you have these new shoes. I do that all online. I don't have to go shop. But last night we were at the house. She's like, do you want to go to the outlets? You want to, you want to go to the outlets with me, don't you? And I told her, I was like, I really don't. I really don't. And I said that. It is okay to say it. I said that. Like, no, I don't want to go. She's like, but just think, like, then, then you could drive me, and I don't have to drive myself, and, and then you can, you'll, you, we'll be together. And I was like, I don't want to go. So we went to the outlet. <laughs> Not because I wanted to. 
But because I wanted to invest in our marriage. I Listen, have been golfing, are, fishing, hunting. She has. I can go to the outlets every now and then as long as I get to go into the Nike store. There are things that you will need to do to invest that don't come naturally to you. That don't come naturally to, well, I'm, not, I'm just not made that way. Well, you better figure it out. Because if they're made that way, you're going to need to do that. I'm sure Jesus was up in heaven, and when the father was like, all right, go down and die for them, he's like, well, I wasn't made that way. As Christ loved the church. So have fun monthly, and then get away annually. Just break the monotony. Break the daily routine. Some of you are like, I can't afford a vacation. Fine. Pay a babysitter for, for a day and a half and do a staycation. Just something to break the the monotony of daily life. There are things that we offer, whether it's the, the strength-based marriage class, which starts yeah, next month. Yeah, all the language we've been using today, deliberative, strategic, like that's from strength-based marriage. If you're like, I need that language so I can appreciate my spouse and their annoying nuances, that class is going to fill up quick. Pastor Jay and Melissa are going to teach it. It's so good. Just take that so class. So that, then we've got the XO conference coming up. We've got our, our, our kids ministry, Pastor Soraya offers date nights. And so we actually just had our first one this weekend where you can bring your kids here. We will watch your kids here in a safe environment. You guys go out and just have a date night together. So we, we do. I tell couples to bring your kids on Wednesday night if, you're, if the classes are well, full and go across the way. Listen, we are, cannot be more invested in your marriage than you are, though. So you have to invest in these areas, too. So just be intentional. Yeah. I think it comes down to intentionality. How do we protect our marriage? Again, it's pursuing Jesus individually and together. Yeah. So you have to be pursuing Jesus as an individual. But then what are those things that you're doing together as a couple, whether it's joining a small group, attending a discipleship class, reading a devotional together, reading a book together, and then having conversation about that. Here's what God's speaking to me. Where's God challenging you? All of those conversations are building not just not just intimacy this way, but intimacy this way. And so when Kurt, go ahead. No, I, I know we're short on time, but I think this is so important when he said, share what God is speaking to you. That can feel so awkward. Right? Like, I don't know what it is, and I kind of put him on the spot last service of, like, why do you think that is? That can be so awkward of just here's what I feel like God is speaking to me. But I will tell you, I've been in counseling almost 20 years, all the couples that I've had. One of the quickest ways to build relational intimacy, quicker than sex, is to share what God has been speaking to you. And so take just... Be uncomfortable being uncomfortable. Get spiritually naked. Here's what I feel like God is saying. And don't wait. Like, I cannot stand when somebody's like, well, I want him to be initiate prayer. For what? Helpmate. Be his helpmate. Go to him. Babe, let's pray. Okay? It's not a rejection of you that he's feeling when he doesn't pray for you. It's inadequacy yes. of him that he's Insecurity, feeling. So help yeah. him, girl. Yeah, that's good. Get spiritually naked and then physically naked. Um, <laughs> that was, sorry, I shouldn't have. So pursue, pursue your spouse, pursue Jesus individually and together. Uh, and, and then just in closing, you know, the, the scripture gives us a, a prescription for a healthy marriage. Uh, so, sorry, Jason, I just realized my son's sitting there. Oh, it's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, Ephesians chapter five, Paul gives us a prescription for a healthy marriage. He said for, for the wives, here's what it looks like. It looks like you submitting to your husband as we, as we, the church, submit to Christ. And then as husbands, it looks like this. Husbands, you loving your wife as Christ loved the church by giving himself up for her. And so I think if we did those two things, scripture is very clear that the, the marriage would be healthy. The reason we don't do those things is because we don't invest and we don't protect. Yeah. 
Fellas, if you protected your marriage and caused your wife to feel safe and secure, she wouldn't run away from your covering, but she would run under your covering. She wouldn't question submitting to your leadership in your home if you were protecting it the way that it needed to be protected. Ladies, your man would love you the way that you want him to love you if you would just invest relationally, if you would be intentional in that, then he would, and the reason we don't is because we don't invest and we don't protect. We wait for the other person to do it. Like Angel said, if he would just, when she finally, listen, stop it. You be the one. You decide today to stop burning bridges in your marriage in one brick at a time, start building those bridges relationally and watch what God does in your marriage together. Anything to add? Before well, we dismiss, I'll just pray I'll pray over them? you guys. Yeah, but Jimmy Evans, he's one of my favorite marriage teachers, and he always says this. He says the best person does the right thing first. So, I mean, if you're competitive like John, you want to be the best, do the right thing first. Let it start with you. Let's pray this morning. Father, I just thank you so much for this time. I thank you for, God, just the willingness of this house and this church to pursue bridges that connect us and Join our hearts and knit our hearts together. God, I just pray right now, Lord, if there are those marriages where it just feels like there's an incinerary, incinerary, is that a word? Incendiary. Yeah. Um, Lord, where it just feels like that bridge has been burned, burned beyond recognition, burned beyond repair, I pray that you would deposit hope today. I pray that you would just remove the veil and give us eyes to see where to start in ourselves. Give us eyes to see some deposits we can make, some investments that we can make. God, I just pray a, a repentant heart over each and every one of us that we truly would protect the gifts that you've given us in one another as spouses. I pray for all those who are not married yet. God, first of all, let this be the year that you bring that person. But I pray that they would steward that in a way that brings glory to you. And I pray that for all of us. We love you. We trust you. Holy Spirit, we need you. In your name, amen. Amen. Did you get something out of that? Good stuff. All right, love you guys. Be blessed. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.